Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Come Follow Me for Teens. I'm Josh Downs, and today's episode is episode 7. We're going to take a look at John chapters 2 through 4 today. Ye must be born again. Now, there are some great key points all throughout these chapters. So much, as always. We just don't have time to get it all. But one of the things that is worth taking some time to take a look at is the very first miracle that Christ performed which was at a wedding feast in Cana, in which he took water and turned it to wine. One of the most amazing things about this is with it being his very first miracle that he performed, it's also very symbolic of his mission. His mission is to take us as we are and help us to become better. He changes people, he changes hearts, and he changes lives. And so I can't think of a better miracle to start off his ministry than this one in turning water to wine. And it's one of the reasons I love it so much. In my classroom, I always made sure that there was a picture of this miracle depicted on the wall so that students knew when they came into my classroom that the objective was to walk out better than when they came in because Christ would change them in that particular way. Elder Bruce R. McConkie said, every hour of every day somewhere, Jesus turns water to wine. And I see it, and I believe it, and I know that he can for each of us, and that he is for you if you'll allow him into your heart and into your mind and into your lives. President Benson said that men and women who turn their lives over to God will discover that he can make a lot more out of their lives than they can. He can deepen their joys, expand their vision, quicken their minds, strengthen their muscles, lift their spirits, multiply their blessings, increase their opportunities, comfort their souls, and pour out peace. Another key point that I think is worth noting as you go through and study this week is to recognize the Savior's response to his mother's request. It was simply, and Joseph Smith actually adds a little bit in the translation, he simply said, Woman, what will thou have me do for thee? That will I do. Now, you probably can't get away with calling your mother woman today, um, but back then that was definitely a term of endearment and affection and a term of, of great respect. Basically, he was saying his mom What do you want me to do? Whatever it is, I'll do it. And I just have to tell you, teenagers, this is one of the greatest things that you could ever say to your own mothers. And so I would invite you to mark that verse and try to internalize it in your heart and mind. And then even just give it a try sometime. Go up to your mom and say, Mom, what do you want me to do? What can I do for you? Whatever it is, I'll do it. I know that you will make your mother's day any day and every day you ask her something like that. Another key point that you'll notice and see and hopefully learn some things from is Christ's visit with Nicodemus, where he teaches Nicodemus about the importance of being born again, a process that we're all currently going through and something that must happen with each of us. And while there are parts of being born again that are very subtle, there's also some that I believe that are not, because birth can be very traumatic for both the mother and the baby. And if God has created birth in that way, and he refers to us being born again, I think that we can probably expect that there would be some similarities spiritually as well as physically. In one scripture in particular, John 16, 21, the Lord says, A woman when she is in travail hath sorrow, because her hour is come. 
But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. I think there are some similarities we can draw from that when it comes to being born again. It will be a difficult process. There will be very painful things that we will need to experience. I know personally I have grown the most when I've gone through some of the hardest things. But afterwards, when I've gone through them and I can look back and see how much I've grown, that pain is in a lot of ways turned to joy. Elder Scott said, to get you from where you are to where he wants you to be requires a lot of stretching. And that generally entails discomfort and pain. And I share that with you young people to help you to understand that there will be things and that there are things probably now that you're going through that are very difficult and even painful. And I want to try to help you to shift your focus on them from seeing them so much as a bad thing to maybe a necessary thing. If we are to be born again, we have to go through the process, which includes moments of discomfort and pain, but also understand this balancing truth that Elder Scott also taught when he said, your father in heaven and his beloved son love you perfectly, and they would not require you to experience a moment more of difficulty than is absolutely needed for your personal benefit or for that of those you love. That is such a great and profound truth. Will there be challenges? Will there be struggles? Will there be trials and heartache and pain? Yes. And they do serve a purpose and they can help us to grow and to move in the direction of being born again. But also understand and balance it with the fact that Heavenly Father will not allow us to experience a moment more of difficulty than is absolutely needed for our personal benefit and growth. And we can take comfort and trust in that and know that he's with us in going through that process of being born again. That is his work in his glory to help us to become better and to become like him. As Elder Wilkinson once taught, God loves us just as we are, but he also loves us too much to leave us that way. Speaking of God's love, that's one of the principles that you should see in here as well. As one of the most often quoted and famous verses of all time, John 3.16 is in there. For God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son. That's such a great verse. You see it at football games, basketball games, baseball games. Everyone knows that verse because everyone knows and wants to know God's love. One of my favorite quotes from Elder Maxwell about God's love is when he said, We don't know the meaning of all things, but we know that God loves us and that is sufficient to get us by and through anything. Speaking of the hard things that we'll have to go through, chances are pretty good that we won't understand the reasons for them all. They don't make sense to us. We want to know why, God. Why would you allow this to happen? Why am I having to go through what I'm going through now? Well, we may not have the answers, but the one answer that we can hold on to is how much God loves us. And sometimes that will just have to be enough and trust that everything will work out okay. In these particular chapters, you'll also find the cleansing of the temple. And I think that's important to, to see that kind of quality and attribute of Christ, that he can be very stern when there needs to be correction made. And then, of course, you'll see some great things surrounding the story of the woman at the well. In fact, that is the story that I want to dig a little bit deeper in today for our key principle, the woman at the well and the concept of living water. The story basically is told that a woman had come to get some physical water to which the Savior points out to her that whosoever drinks of this water, the physical water, will thirst again, but that whoever drinks of the water that I shall give them shall never thirst, that it will be a well of water springing up into eternal life inside of them. 
To which the woman responds, well, then give me some of this water because I would love to never have to come back here and, and try to get any more water from this well. And this kind of starts a conversation that begins to enlighten her understanding as to who it is that is teaching her about living water. One of the the concepts I think is so important for you young people to understand is that we all have physical thirsts. That's a normal part of life. You have them, I have them, everyone has them. And what the Savior is teaching us here is that those thirsts, whatever we do to quench them, it will never fully satisfy. We will need them again and again. As an example, say we have an appetite to be seen, to be recognized, to be validated by others. I know we all have that appetite. What he is saying is that whatever way we choose to get that filled, it will never fully satisfy us. I know one of the ways that teenagers and adults try to fill that need, that appetite, is through social media, right? Trying to be seen through posts and getting likes and followers. But true to form, what he is saying is, it may feel good for a moment, right? You post something, you get some likes, it feels good. And that thirst is quenched, but only temporarily. Because what happens, give it just a a little bit of time, and it starts to dry up, and you need it again. And that's why you'll see people posting over and over and over, trying to just keep that thirst satisfied. And that really is the same with just about anything, anything outside of us, right? If I have a thirst for technology, for the latest iPhone, well, I might get it, but guess how long that's going to last? How long that thirst is going to be quenched? Just until the next year when the next version comes out. Same with the car. I might have this terrible thirst to have a car, and I'll get it, and I'll be so happy and so excited, and it will last maybe for a little bit, but eventually that will fade away as well. As you see new cars come out and new features and you'll want something more. He's trying to teach us that the water of the world will never fully satisfy us. But the water that he gives will. Not only that, but he says, whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst again for physical water. He's kind of pointing that out, that the water he gives will help us to lose thirst for the water the world has. And that is so important to understand. I want you to understand to get this. The best way to feel good about yourself isn't from things outside of yourself, but from Christ being in you. If your worth is contingent upon how many friends you have or the type of clothes you wear, the type of car you drive, or whether you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or how much money you have or power, success or recognition or followers or likes, none of that will last because none of that is real. None of that is sustainable. Anything outside of ourselves will always eventually dry up and we'll need more and more and more and we'll be chasing it forever. But if we can learn to drink of the living water, of the water that Christ has, everything will change. We will begin to lose thirst for all those things. We won't care quite so much about what other people think because we know and feel of God's love. And this is actually one of the deepest desires of my hearts is to get this into young people's hearts, to help them to understand where it is that they can find their worth and why these things outside of themselves are not working and will not last. Going along with this, Elder Dallin H. Oaks once said that as at Jacob's well, so today the Lord Jesus Christ is the only source of living water. It will quench the thirst of those suffering from the drought of divine truth that so afflicts the world. 
The words of the Lord to ancient Israel, spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, describe the condition of many of God's children in our own day. My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out broken cisterns that can hold no water. A cistern is a type of a pot that was used to keep water and hold water. Imagine trying to get a drink with a cup that has a hole in it or a crack in it. It becomes very difficult to satisfy that thirst. And that is what Jeremiah and Elder Oaks is referring to. He went on to say that too many of our Heavenly Father's children spend their precious lives carving out broken cisterns of worldly gain that cannot hold the living water that satisfies fully their natural thirst for everlasting truth. As you read through and study this today, watch for what the woman at the well does with the water that she actually went there to get. I think there's a great lesson taught in what happens to her water pot after she discovers and finds Christ and recognizes who he is and begins to drink of the living water that he has to offer. Now, you ready for your key questions to journal and discuss this week? Question number one is this, how have you seen Christ change another person for the better? How have you seen that happen? Question two, how have you felt him change you for the better? What a great question that is. Question three, what are some of the broken cisterns that you have seen others try to turn to in order to quench a thirst or a need that they had? And as a follow-up to that question, what happened? The next question, question four, what are some of the thirsts for the world that you have that he can help you to quench and to overcome. I think it's so important to recognize where our thirsts are and what's driving them so we can turn to Christ for help with them. The next question, how have you been able to best drink of the living water in your life that Christ has to offer? There are many ways to access it. One obviously is through prayer or the scriptures or the temple. Others just love going, being alone in the mountains or listening to music. But what has been one of the best ways for you to drink of that living water that he has to offer and to feel refreshed, to feel quenched? And the last question is just simply, what are some of the thirsts for the world that he has helped quench in you to where you didn't feel that you needed those sources of water as much anymore? And then I have one application question for you to consider. And that is just simply, what will you do today to better access the living water that Christ has to offer you. So you can start feeling satisfied and happy and accepting of who you are and that you are enough without the things of the world to validate you. I hope that's helpful to you and I know that you'll find even better things as you go through and study this week. Remember our three things to look for. First is how does this lesson bear testimony of Christ? In the story of the woman at the well, we certainly learn what he is capable of doing and how he can help us overcome the thirst of the world. Plus, he bears testimony to the woman of who he is when he says, I that speak unto thee am he, referencing the Messiah. Make sure to look for principles that can guide your life and, of course, character traits of Christ. One of the things I hope that you saw in the story of the woman at the well is that he loves everyone. The first person that he chooses to reveal himself to is a woman that has been divorced five times and is now living with the man, someone that's been rejected by others, but never by him. That may be one of my most favorite character traits of Christ, because I know that no matter how many times I fall short or how many times I fall, that he will still love and accept me because he wants to help me to become better. And if he can give me that kind of grace, 
then if I'm going to emulate his character, how can I give others that kind of grace as well? Now, thanks for listening today, you guys. As always, let's take all of these gospel doctrines, principles, and truths that we've talked about today and that you will discover in your own personal study and go follow him better. Until next time, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.